Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, good gardening, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but before Mr. Kelly leaves, I have something to say about that. There's not just any clouds. There's no clouds out there. You said partly cloudy? Hmm. There's some high clouds out there. There is? Yeah. I guess I don't see yeah. them. I'm too old. Here, step over here and take a look out the window. <laughs> I can't. It hurt my <laughs> ear. Thank you for your newscast. And the Good Gardening Stroll shortly. And if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'll tell you what. I was born June 30th. 1949, so obviously I'm old. But that makes me a moon child. So when this eclipse happened on Monday, I'll never be the same person again. We went down to a winery down by Farmington, Twin Oaks, and had the best time. It was absolutely fantastic. So <sighs> eclipse, moon child. Yes, that's me. Anyway, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Every Saturday morning, we get together to discuss your yard, landscape, garden, house plants, potting mixes, soil improvement, pruning, bugs, diseases, planting to removals, and how to make the best choices. But please remember my words, strictly open opportunities for you to think about. Afterwards, it's going to take physical and mental effort on your part on this great marathon called gardening. It's never going to be a sprint. You try to sprint stuff, and it becomes a disaster. And remember, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And thanks to Emily and Greg for producing today. It's always, boy, my, I must just be a troublemaker or something. It always takes two producers lately. Hmm, sort of scary. Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books, two are available at various locations. I also write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like to have me come over to your home and do what I call a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is an email address and a phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. <sighs> The sun, wow, sunrise was beautiful. It was really tinting those clouds. Brian Kelly was right. It is partly cloudy. I even saw clouds earlier, but that orange color was fantastic. So I pulled over at Arsenal Street and Missouri Avenue. Where is that? Oh, that's on the north side of Benton Park. And as I stepped out of the car, there's a trio of maiden grasses. Oh, they look fantastic, though they're not showing any flowers yet. It's a little bit early, I guess. And well-budded sedum live forever, starting to show a little color. Zinnias were really showing off their color. Oh, the iris and daylilies. They were settling down for a nap all the way until next spring. Ducks saw me in the distance. They were in the reflecting pond. Great pond shape. It curves and bends around all kinds of views. 
and makes it so it seems very mysterious. But they looked up at me and said, hmm, he doesn't look like anybody that's going to come here to feed us. So they kind of swam away. They said, oh, heck with it. But as I looked up, I saw sweet gum trees. I saw golden rain trees. I saw elms. I saw Japanese maples. A huge bald cypress with its cones, not the classic kind of cones we think of with conifers or evergreens, but round blue balls. That's what the bald cypress cones look like. As I walked along, there was hackberries and sycamores, and there was a, a kind of a sad old crab apple. Oh, it should probably be cut down soon. Didn't have an orange dot on it, so it's not going to be cut down yet. But neatly cut grass surrounding a horseshoe plaza. So if you're into playing horseshoes, you can go to Benton Park. And uh, enclosed with a, this horseshoe plaza is enclosed with a short brick wall. Circular pond with a fountain can be viewed from this building's balcony. Playground, tennis courts, idle, except for a few starlings and squirrels. We're checking everything out. Oaks and more sweet gum trees, a ginkgo tree. Yes, Siney says, well, for this part of the playground, the age group best to use this specific equipment would be two to five or whatever it happens to be. Group of picnic tables overlook a small valley. And underneath the bridge, there's a stone arch storage area uh, where they keep whatever. I don't know. I didn't go down there and look. But um, <laughs> I guess I should have. And a view from Benton Park, you can see Limp Brewery in the distance. You can see the dog walkers were out. There was an orange dot on one tree. That means it's going to be taken out by the Parks Department or Forestry Department sometime soon. A signal, ah, yes, that this park is very historic, very old. Some of the metal work across the bridge walkways, that's fantastic. It's just a great, neat park. And uh, as I said, the morning was so cool, it was very, very nice to be walking in Benton Park. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Greg or Emily will be answering the phone. All you need to do is tell them your first name and where you're calling from, and that will be it. Mark lives in St. Peter's. Mark, how are you today? Uh, I'm pretty good. I had a question about uh, when's the best time to aerate your lawn and seed it? Basically, if you're talking about a cool season lawn, fescue or bluegrass, we're looking at from this point forward all the way up probably until weather dependent, maybe the last of September, early October. Okay, so it's not, it's not too warm right now to do that. No, it's not really. I mean, the, step outside. It's like 60-some-odd degrees. Now, the daytime temperatures can still get hot, but you're still, you know, when you put the seed down, you're going to have to water it virtually every day for a couple weeks to make sure that it's, you know, the germination is, you know, successful and everything else. Now, also, when you're going to do any kind of overseeding, this is for anyone, you cannot put any kind of herbicide down, especially a pre-emergent, but even broadleaf weed killers can have an impact on newly germinating grass seed. So you got to get everything kind of ready in order and if you wanted if you have to have some weed control done, get that done before you do any kind of uh Grass seeding. All righty, then. Thank you. Yes, well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Claire lives in Afton. Hi, Claire. I need your help. I had six rhubarb plants this spring. They did beautifully until July, 
and then they started just, you know, going downhill. Okay, I read online you're supposed to keep them mul- very moist, so I mulched around them, and that created a crown rot. And I'm down to two plants, and i got to keep them. So can I not grow rhubarb in St. Louis? Well, rhubarb is very difficult to grow here, to be honest. I've okay. been growing it off and on for several years. Now, are these when these plants sort of imploded in July, how long had they been in the ground? Oh, I just got them this spring. Oh, so they never really even got their root system established. So I'm surprised you still have two of the six still alive. Okay. So that's a yeah, I mean that's a credit and a tribute to you to the efforts okay. you've done. But they're difficult, difficult, difficult to grow. There's no getting around it. Because uh, the way our screwy weather is, I mean, remember July 2016? We were flooded. We had so much rain. July 2017, we were in a desert circumstance. And rhubarb doesn't like that. And this year, we had almost a whole week of over 100 degrees. Right. And so um, my question is, I know they're supposed to be planting in full sun, but maybe since it's so hot here... Would afternoon shade be okay? I would be very cautious about doing that. They still are going to do better in the full sun, regardless of the temperature-wise. Okay. And uh, I just would leave them, you know, plant them in the sun. Now, I've grown mine in the ground. I've grown them in pots both, and I've had, okay. you know, equal luck in both places. Tracy loves okay. rhubarb pie, so that's why we grew them. But we never got enough rhubarb to actually make a pie. <laughs> okay, I thought about growing them in pots. But then I thought, well, then do I have to put them in the refrigerator, you know, for the winter, like that type of thing? (laughs) Well, if you did that, that would make your refrigerator pretty ugly and also (laughs) full of diseases. So, no, don't do that. They can stay outside in a pot. They just have to be in a big pot. Okay. That sounds good. I'll keep trying then. Right. Just keep trying. And if you have luck, then I expect a pie. Okay. Well, I'm going to call back and say, hey, I got the secret. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thanks. Thanks. And now let's go to Holiday Shores, and that's where Kathy lives. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Mike. Um, Thanks uh, for your show. I have learned so much from you. I really appreciate it. Uh, I have some sedum that's a ground cover. I don't know the variety of it, but it has yellow blooms right now. And it's growing out of some large boulders on a hillside, and it's very aggressive. Some friends would like to have some. And I don't think I'll be able to get to the roots. Can it possibly be transplanted without roots? Well, I'm doing that all the time. I have a sedum acre, which is the yellow-flowered one that blooms in May. I have it between the sidewalk and street. And in the last couple weeks, what I've been doing is because it kind of, it's like an ocean. It's coming up over the, you know, out of the bed space dedicated for it and onto the sidewalk. So I just go along with scissors and cut it. And then, you know, right at the edge of where the sidewalk is or the street curb is. And then I just take those pieces and I just throw them in other areas where they're, you know, where it's thin or along the side of the house where I haven't started to grow it yet. So if they get it right, if you can take some cuttings of it, ideally it's not the, you know, this is probably a pretty good time to do it. But tell them ahead of time that, you know, 100% of it's not going to necessarily root. But they should have the soil prepared. It should be very well drained. It should be in full sun. Okay, real good. 
Okay, well, thanks so much for your info. I really appreciate it. Well, great. Thank you for calling. And, uh, yeah, the sedums are fantastic. And, I mean, sedum autumn joy, or, you know, which is our sedum live forever, is the one that blooms later in the season. But there are several different varieties. One of my favorite, which I don't grow myself, is sedum dragon's blood, which is kind of evergreen, has a maroon leaf and a maroon flower, too. But I like the sedum acre because of, uh, you know, Emotional, sentimental things, because my grandmother used to grow it in a house she had in Richmond Heights. But thanks, Kathy. And now let's go to Bob, and Bob is in Arnold. Hi, Bob. Hi, Mike. I got some oriopes. Uh, uh, I probably pronounced that wrong, but yeah. I've been told cut them back in the fall, cut them back in the spring. When's a good time to cut them back? Basically, if you you can cut them either time. Just cut them before the new growth begins in the springtime. If you cut them in the fall you're kind of eliminating the ugliness of the wintertime. If you don't care about that, then it's really up to you. To leave the blades for any kind of ornamental grass, and though these are not technically a grass, for the wintertime is to the advantage of the plant crowns because they act as an insulating layer. So consequently, if you cut them, don't cut them too short, you know, don't cut them like down to the ground like you would have, you know, scalp your mow or scalp your lawn or something like that. But it's strictly a you know, personal type thing when you want to do it. You can do it either time. Okay. How about the purple flowers that's come up to them? Um, as far as cutting them? Yeah, they're starting. Some of them starting to turn brown now. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a hassle. I don't know how much liriope you have, and you did pronounce it correctly. Uh, that would be a heartache to go out there. I would just leave, you know, leave the flowers. They're going to implode on their own. Okay, is those seeds or no? Are well, they, they technically are. But to grow liriope from seed, you're better off just to dig up a clump and chop it up into pieces like a pie or something. But I mean, I don't know anybody, and you know. Listeners, please yeah. call in and say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I've never known anybody that can grow liriope or has grown liriope in this region from seed. Okay. All right. So we can just use our own judgment on cutting them back. Why are they cutting them back? About three inches? Uh, that might be a little tight. I would say if you can set your mower, I don't know, are you going to cut them by hand or a mower? Uh, Hand, okay. Can't get a mower tool. Yeah, uh, I would say if you can cut them, you know, at four inches, that would be better than three. All righty, we'll do that. Thank you very much, Mike. Yeah. And my, you know, my sort of opinion related to this is, liriope at the Japanese Garden, you know, that was only cut virtually as we're going into, you know, coming out of the winter time because of the insulation factor of the blades. And that's the same thing with anything that has any kind of blades at all. So thanks, Bob. And now let's go to Nancy. And Nancy is in Crestwood. Hi, Nancy. Yes. Um, I, we, shortly after we moved here, we planted two lilac bushes. And uh, they're, uh, they, well, not really bushes, but trees. And they grew and they grew and they're just beautiful. But this year they have all this milky white stuff on them and they did not bloom. Last year they bloomed, but this year they didn't. You're talking about milky white stuff on the leaves, correct? Correct. So that is just a powdery mildew. That really has nothing to do with, you know, it's more of an aesthetic problem than anything. Anybody that tries to keep that under control on their lilacs, or go, they'll go crazy. The not okay. the flowering has, you know, that was nothing to do with this powdery mildew on the leaves. So what oh, okay. probably happened? I don't. Did you prune your lilacs? No. You didn't. So it no. had to be something related to weather more so than anything else. If they've okay. flowered in the past, 
then just don't do any pruning at all. Just leave them alone. And what you can do is when the foliage falls, just rake it up so you don't have to even see the powdery mildew on the leaves on the ground. And that's about all you need to do. Okay. What, where, where should they be planted? One is in pretty much shade, and the other one is in pretty much sun. They should be in full sun all day long, every day. Oh, okay. We'll probably have to move the one, I guess. Yeah. But thank you so much. Sure, and this is an uh, ideal time to move. You know, okay. any kind of plant material. Fall is great for transplanting and planting both because warm ground encourages new root system growth. Then they get to go to sleep for the winter time. Okay. And do you think, uh, is there any way I can get them to bloom again? <laughs> yeah, just leave it alone. Most people try don't you know don't fertilize you know it needs a kind of an alkaline soil so if you wanted to put it relatively close to a sidewalk or things like that that's fine but uh, it definitely needs full you know full sh- sun not shade at all and uh-huh. uh, just kind of keep your fingers crossed. Okay, thank you so much. Sure, appreciate it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, uh, moonflower vine. That's what I have. I have them in front and the back. Today, this morning, the one in back, it's probably it is bigger, I have to admit. Probably 25, maybe 30 flowers on it, and these are pure white flowers. Uh, these are probably like four to six inches across. So they were spectacular. Now, if you want to, pr- those are annuals, so you have to replant them every year via seed or whatever. Now, if you want a perennial vine that blooms this time of year, what you can do is get something called Sweet Autumn Clematis. Very, very fragrant, very aggressive. Now, it does produce seeds, so it can become aggressive in your landscape. So watch out about it. But Sweet Autumn Clematis is one of my favorite perennial vines. I don't grow it myself, but I know there's houses in my neighborhood where it is. So whenever I want to have a nice fragrance, I just walk past their house. Let's head out to Chesterfield now and go into Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. Uh, thank you for your program. Uh I was wanting to ask you about the uh, pre-emergent to use uh, in the fall for the grasses, that uh, the large grass that pops up in the spring. Right. right. Basically, Basically, what, what you, you, in the fall, the pre-emergent that you would put down now is to kill winter weeds. So in other words, like annual bluegrass, henbit, and things like that. To kill the grass that you're talking about, let's say the crabgrass, the goosegrass and all those other grasses, that's a pre-emergent you put down in the springtime when the forsythia is in bloom. So putting a pre-emergent down now does not eliminate the grass seed for next year as far as the weedy grasses. Okay, yeah, I had some white annual fescue or annual bluegrass, I think they call it, to right. pop it up in the spring. So that, that actually is the spring pre-emergent uh, that you put down for that. Well, if you have the annual bluegrass, it germinates. It's going to be germinating now. It's going to grow all winter long, and then when the weather starts heating up next year, it dies off. So if, you know, if you're pretty sure it's an annual bluegrass, that is a winter-type grassy weed. So it germinates August, early September, grows all winter long, could care less, and then when the weather starts getting a little bit warmer, let's say mid-January or something, it starts producing seed stalks, and then it drops a seed, which is going to be, you know, coming next year. So if, if you're pretty sure you had an annual bluegrass, you want to put the pre-emergent down now. This, well, you know, within the next week or so. 
And is that the same pre-emergence that you'd use for the crabgrass in the spring? Yes, definitely. I mean, there's all kinds of different pre-emergence. Just make sure, read the label and what it's going to help you control. But for the most part, a pre-emergent, regardless of the company that makes it or anything else, what it does is create a chemical barrier on the surface of your soil. And then as any seed, whether it's lawn grass seed, weed seed, or anything else, germinates, it kills the seed at the point of germination. Okay, and so that okay, very good. Thank you very much. Yep. I'll put, put her down, and uh, no, but no, no seeding now with the pre-emergent. Right? Exactly. Right. Or All you're right. just wasting your money. I mean, the the companies love it when people do that kind of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. Well, and if anybody has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And we're going to stay fairly close to Chesterfield and only go to Wildwood, and that's where Laura lives. Hi, Laura. Hey, Mike. How's it going today? Very good. Great. Hey, uh, I just built a new home, and uh, I was told to, uh, you were, had just mentioned the bald cypress. Uh, I was told that that is good for moist areas. Um, I've, my... My home is built where I've got some some gutters that will probably not be able to uh, be able to be used as efficiently as they they could be, and uh, I was told to put some bald cypress in that area. My question is, how far away from the house do I plant that? How long are you going to live in this house? They're going to wheel me out, Mike. <laughs> well, bald cypress gets huge. I just took my you know good gardening stroll this morning in Benton Park. Now, this is a very old bald cypress, but it probably is 50 feet high and maybe 30-plus feet wide. And the bald cypress, the fact that it's from swampy areas in Missouri and further south than here, uh, has a very extensive lateral root system. It also produces something called knees off this root system, and that's how it gets oxygen inside its, you know, let's say, in its veins. So watch out and be very, very careful about putting any kind of bald cypress within probably 25 feet of your house. Okay. What a, uh, would a better option be like a river birch or? It's going to be it's, it, anything, that can, you know, anything that can grow in swampy areas, river birch, the same thing. They're going to have a lot of lateral root growth. And so, okay. and they're going to get fairly large. Now, neither of them are going to get large. That's why I asked, how, and I was just joking, how long are you going right. to stay no, in the I, house? I, I, as, I, as was I, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so consequently, I would start looking maybe at some of the, sh- you know, wh- why do you need trees there? We, we really don't. We, I mean, it's, there are no trees on the, on the lot itself. So right. uh, we were just looking to get some height. For some places, that's all. But if you want a tree that's going to be smaller growing, look at something called Amur, A-M-U-R. It's from the Amur River. I think Amur River is in Russia. I kind of forget where it is. Amur Amur River or Amur Maple. It's going to be a smaller growing tree, usually multi-trunked. It's still, you got to be somewhat cautious. But if you, Wildwood, I'm assuming you got a panorama of trees in the distance. So to have a tree up close and personal to your house, don't do that. Okay. All right. Gotcha. All right. Well, then we'll we'll make something smaller. Thanks for your time, Mike. <laughs> right. And if you'd like a evergreen shrub, there's something called inkberry, which grows in the swampy areas of Missouri, and there's some of the lower or smaller growing varieties. It's a holly. Technically, it's not a classic looking holly, but you might think about doing inkberries and amber maples together. Okay. 
ink berry, like ink as in pen ink. Right, because the inks, because they have a blackberry on it, and I think the uh, Native Americans, what they used is that berry to, like, make things on their teepees or whatever. Well, then I'm going to put a teepee up and use some of that stuff. <laughs> exactly. You have a great day, sir. Right, you do the very same thing. And I'll start watching in the retail circumstance for Laura's Inkberry Ink, and maybe you'll get rich. Then you got to share it with me. Let's go to Dennis, and Dennis lives in St. Louis. Hi, Dennis. Morning, Mike. Thanks to you for your service to all of us. I have a question about what I believe it's called Poa annua or annual bluegrass. Right. We seem to have an infestation of it that you know dies off, and you got the uh, bare soil exposed. Exactly. Um, now I want to aerate and overseed this year, this fall. But what about timing with putting the pre-emergent down and accomplishing the reseeding? It's impossible. I mean, realistically. You could, but, you know, you you got to decide what you want to do first and then go after the other one, you know, and let's say and you can't do... For a pre-emergent, you got to get that down real soon. But a pre-emergent is going to impact any kind of seed that you put down. And you gotta, if you put the pre-emergent down, you can't correlate after it, even if you don't put seed, because the pre-emergent creates a barrier. And if there's any kind of gaps or breaks or stuff like that, then this you know annual bluegrass that you're having problems with historically is going to be able to germinate from those points. What about the reseeding in the spring? What's the success rate doing that then? Uh, it's you know it's not too bad. The thing is, you know, putting seed down in May is just it takes more time. You know, it's going to take a little bit more work because who knows what it's going to be like. You know, you know, a month later when the seed is just you know three or four weeks old, it could be faced with the July like we had this year, which is just I mean it was like close to Hades. Will uh, aerating it? in May uh, have a negative effect, and will the pre-emergent still be working, or will it be No, the pre-emergent basically has got a couple months of work, and then that's pretty much it. So that's why I, you know, I've been recommending for a couple years a pre-emergent for things like what you're talking about, the annual bluegrass, the henbit, you know, those kind of type things, annual weeds that are cool or cold season weeds that germinate, grow all through the wintertime, and then die when it starts warming up. And then we've got the warm season weeds, which germinate in the early spring and then grow through, you know, the hot part of the summertime, which are, I mean, they're prolific right now. So there's two different types of weed circumstances. What about recommendation for the type of seed? We're, we have a mixture of full sun and then shady areas. Shady area, forget it. You're, I mean, you're never really going to have successful lawn there. If it's shady due to trees, especially because of tree root systems, but if you're going to do, you know, you're going to try to have grass in that situation, you're going to have to put seed down every September and every May and just, you know, kind of, you know, it's like a roll of the dice, to be honest with you. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, and the type of seed, it's up to you, but make sure if you get a blue, if you're talking about cool season, you know, lawns, a bluegrass mixture a fescue mixture, don't get one just pure type thing as far as any kind of seed you get. Do mixture. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a complicated circumstance. That's why lawns are so difficult here. We're kind of southern, but we're kind of northern. That's why zoysia grows here, Bermuda grows here, and that's why the cool season lawns, fescues and bluegrasses grow here. We're at that transition zone and it makes it very tough. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, we've got some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, it's starting to get a little cooler, so you're thinking about getting uh, some annual or not annual, let's say spring flowering bulbs, well, you can go to Brightside St. Louis, that's brightsidestl.org, and you can order some tulips, and you can order some daffodil bulbs from them. Also, in your own yard, remember, everybody gets so anxious about pruning and everything else. You can prune spring flowering shrubs, trees, or anything else, you know, as we go from this point forward into the fall, into the winter, and everything else. It won't hurt the plants technically. What it does is you're just cutting off the flower buds for next year. So things like magnolia trees, if you look at them closely, dogwood trees, if you look at them closely, you already start to see the flower buds forming at the tips of the branches. So realize that. Another thing with the flowering pear trees, the reason why they're considered a noxious weed, more or less, not quite like honeysuckle, is they do produce those fruits, and those little fruits, if you have some of the older varieties, you'll look on the ground and you'll see a bunch of little roundish-looking seeds. It looks like dried-up peas. That's the, what you know. wildlife, animals, birds, and everything else can take those, drop them someplace else, and then you could have a flowering pear tree growing in your yard. So that's why they're considered noxious. And that's why when you go along 270 sometimes, you can see how did those pear trees get there? Well, wildlife took them in from some other place. So just realize that that's, you know, something to consider when you're doing that. Things that you could have blooming, let's say, in a woodland garden this time of year. Your hostas are probably finished, but there's a plant called toad lily. Really kind of unique, really kind of unusual. That's what happens. Also, beyond the mums, asters. Asters are in the sunflower family, too. They are really tough and very durable. They, you know, do quite well in the sun circumstance. So there's all kinds of situations like that. Remember, I have planted several several years ago, I guess probably when we first moved to our house down by uh, Christie Park, uh, sweet alyssum. So sweet alyssum, you know, kind of a lowish ground cover. It does self-seed, so it comes back every year on its own, but it has a great fragrance. So I plant it on the side, you know, along the sidewalks, along the streets and things like that. So sometimes in the back door, by the back door. So when we step outside, it's, you're sort of greeted with a nice, not overpowering, great fragrance as well. This time of year, just, you know, keep an eye out for ground hornets. Ground hornets, they are much more aggressive than wasp. If you start to see some waspy looking things flying underneath bushes, shrubs, or something along that line, and... Exiting, entering, exiting, entering, that's probably ground hornets. The bad thing about ground hornets is once you start sitting outside and you have a drink or something or food, as the weather gets cooler, they're going to be much more aggressive. They're going to start coming towards your drinks. And the bad thing is you start to swish them away. And the ground hornets not only sting, they bite too. And so that is really, really a horrible thing. So just watch out. If you do see, you know, Anything that looks like wasps flying underneath shrubs and going into a hole, realize there's probably one or two exit entrance holes. You should probably have a professional service rather than trying to come out and take care of it yourself. And as I said before, the reason why they're so aggressive as the weather starts to get cooler is the female queen will you know, last through the entire winter time. So 
they got to get her fed. They got to keep her well fed. So the new colony, so all the ones that are out, you know, flying all over the place, they're going to die, you know, with the weather related type stuff. So just, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, take a look at, you know, all your, you know, all your trees. I, I last week a lady called about her Manhattan Euonymus. It was a shrub, I think a hedge around her house. And I said probably it was 30 plus years old. I said probably an age factor is something that has an impact on why, you know, some of the various shrubs are dying off. But I forgot to mention with Manhattan Euonymus, there's something, there's a gall, a gall, not the same exact type that the oak trees have, but something along that same line. So if you have Manhattan Euonymus, this is a type of Euonymus. That really is not, it's still sold, but it's not as popular as it used to be. But if you start to see lumps as, around the stems as they come, right where they're coming out of the ground, that's where the galls are, and that could certainly kill them off, you know, kill your Manhattan Euonymus as well. So, other things that you need to be thinking about if you're going to do any kind of application of anything at all, read the label. Understand what the label says. If you don't understand, you know, anything at all related to it, ask where you purchase it. And if the people don't know that are working there, then don't make the purchase there. Maybe spend another dollar or two someplace else where you can go and get the answers taken care of. Because it is really, really tough to get these applications correct. And some of them are really difficult because they'll say, well, you buy a 10-pound bag and they'll say, well, use a quarter pound for 1,000 square feet. You go, huh? You know, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but that's the kind of thing that you need to be very, very conscious of. And just understand that if you don't get it down right, then you're just wasting your time, you're wasting your effort, and you're wasting everything else. So just be conscious of that entirely. So um, let's see, what else do we need to think about? Stop scalping your lawn. Let's see if we can. Jim from Taylorville, could you do it kind of quick? Sure. Okay. Uh, I've got soysia in my lawn, and in the last couple of years, I've noticed round spots. They'll start out maybe three feet in diameter and grow to maybe eight, 10, 12 feet in diameter. And the grass in there is not the real lush green soysia. It's real sparse, almost bare. Right. And it's just really ugly. And I just wondered if you knew what that was. Well, it might be something called zoysia decline. How old's your lawn? Oh, gosh. 30, 40 years. Yeah, so it's probably, you know, it's like me. You know, I'm all wrinkled and I'm kind of <laughs> melting. But, uh, you know, it may be an age factor. But what I would do also is go to your favorite garden center, dig up a, like a square foot area where it's brown and where the zoysia is still green, about a square foot, and take it to them and let them look at it and see because there are different kinds of funguses that are impacting the zoysias as well. So that's, okay. you know, probably age. It could be a fungus factor, and it could be a combination of both. Okay. So. Uh, uh, thank you very much. Well, thanks for calling, and certainly, you know, anything that's old, you know, I keep making these analogies. Nobody has a couch probably that's 40 years old. Well, maybe some people do. Or a refrigerator or a car or anything else. And plants have a limited life, especially in aesthetic circumstance. So just realize that. Now, if you do have any questions or comments, get them lined up. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.